Hey, good morning, Grace. When I was uh, my last year in seminary, I, I, I spent the summer working uh, in an inner city church, pretty, uh, frankly, dangerous part of Los Angeles. And one of my job descriptions was to drive the church van. It had bullet holes in it, the whole thing. It was exciting. Uh, anyway, I'd wake up early in the morning and uh, make my way to my pickups on the way to the church. And there, it seemed like I always got stopped at this one traffic light. And there was an older man uh, in front of an auto garage, you know, a, a shop. <clears throat> and he was hanging about, must have been at least 200 hubcaps on that, on that eight-foot fence. And then he would sit out front thinking he was going to sell those hubcaps. And I would, as I made my way around throughout the day, I'd see him sitting in that chair. And I think all summer, I don't, I don't remember him making a single hubcap sale. <laughs> Twelve hours later, you know, I would, I'd come home and I'd see that old man looking at taking those hubcaps down, uh, finishing up the day. And I looked at him and I thought, he, he's like a modern-day Sisyphus, you know, angered Zeus. And now he's got to push this boulder up a mountain just to watch it roll back down so he can push it back up for his entire existence. There was no meaning. There was no purpose to what he was doing. I thought, boy, if that, if that man had one deep thought, he would be like crushed by the meaninglessness of his existence. Anyway, I, I ran, in, you know, ran across him again one, of the, one morning, and I looked at him, and he looked at me. Now he, you know, he knew the van, so I, hey, and then he looked at me, hey. And then he looked at me, and I thought, you know what, I, know, I think I know what he's thinking. He's looking at me going, oh, that poor young man driving that van. Since circles the neighborhood all day long. There's no meaning or purpose to what he does. I bet if that young man just had one deep thought, he'd be crushed by the meaningless of his existence. I mean, he's like a, a fly with a string attached or you just can never get away. And then over the years, actually decades now, I've realized that we're all hanging hubcaps, aren't we? We really are. I mean, whether you're a doctor or a mechanic or a lawyer, or home builder, or whatever, you, or a pastor, you know, they're just hanging hubcaps. Uh, even the pleasure seekers, you know, they're just seeking an, the same old thing again and again. If we ever had a chance to have a deep thought, we'd be crushed by the meaninglessness of life. Like that, like that Old Testament genius, Saint uh, Solomon, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. But I got to ask you, like, do we, do we serve a capricious and vindictive God like Zeus? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't Jesus leave us with a reason to live, a purpose in life, something that we could do here in a very short time that we're alive that would transcend our existence and echo into eternity? Wouldn't the king of all kings give us a command? to tell us what to do, to glorify his name, and to make life a purposeful, meaningful thing in every little thing that we did. Well, Jesus did. The king has left us a command. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. We're looking at that. Looked at it last week. We're going to look at it this week and a few weeks to come. Here's the last words the king spoke in the book of Matthew. It says, and then Jesus came to them and said, 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, what's going to follow is often called the Great Commission, but frankly, it's a command. He's telling us what to do. These are the last orders of the commander-in-chief. Verse 19, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end, the very end of this age. Now, it's absolutely essential, vital that we understand what this command is. Because if we don't, we might think we're following instructions, but we're not. I mean, I don't want to get to heaven and have someone greet me there with my third grade report card that says, fails to follow instructions. That, that's happened before in my life. Actually, most of my elementary school fell, fail, does not follow instructions. We get to heaven and, and we said, yeah, I did everything you said. And, and Jesus says, not, but that's not what I said. Wait, what? One of the problems with being able to understand what this final command means is in English, it says it's a little something different than what it actually says in Greek. If you look at it in English, you can see that it looks like there's four verbs in those two sentences. And so all four verbs are standing equal to each other. And if you remember eighth grade grammar where you had to diagram sentences, it would look like this. Therefore, go and then make disciples of who? Of all nations. Baptizing them, how? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them obey to obey what? Everything I've commanded you. Four orders, four commands, all standing equal to each other. But that's not what it says. And you can't, know, you can't know that unless you understand what it says in Greek. In the Greek language, it, it is able to specifically identify what the command is in the details and give us a certainty that we can live our lives by, which is good to know. In the Greek, there is only one verb. There's only one order. The other words that are are used are accentuating or explaining or clarifying how we and, and, and what to do with that verb, with that one command. In other words, in Greek, the only verb, the only command is make disciples of who? Of all nations. Now what are called participles are going to be used to explain how to make disciples. So it goes on and says, by going. By baptizing, how? In the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching to obey everything that I've commanded. Now, it's, it's very important to understand the distinction between having four commands of equal value and one command. Now we can know exactly what we're to do and using those other three participles to know how to do that. It defines our priority. It defines the end game in uh, Robert uh, Coleman's book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, does an excellent job summarizing the importance of the d distinction there. He says, the Great Commission is not merely to go to the ends of the earth preaching the gospel, nor baptizing a lot of converts, nor teaching them the precepts of Christ, but rather to make disciples, to build men like themselves who were so constrained by the commission of Christ that they were not only followed Jesus themselves, but, and here's the key, led others to follow him too. It's how a church can measure the success of obeying the last command of God. It's not by keeping score or knowing you're doing well by you know, the number of people sitting in the seats. It's not by an increase in budget. 
But according you know, to the verse itself, it's are the Christians in the church, are they disciples? And are the disciples making disciples? That's the command. So today we're going to look at two big questions that obviously follow from uh, this insight. And the first question is, what is a disciple? <laughs> because we're supposed to be a disciple and make disciples. And the second one is, what is the process that here, at, what is the disciple-making process at Grace Covenant Church? What is the disciple-making process at this location? How are we doing that? So first one, what is a disciple? Now that word's a church word now, but it was a pretty common word back when Jesus spoke that. There were multiple expressions of disciple, both like in the religious community and outside of it. The Hebrew, the word disciple comes from the Hebrew, Hebrew word, excuse me, uh, Talmud. And Talmud was a, a student, but way more than a student. If you were a religious leader, a political leader, or a business leader, you would have men and women that wanted to be like you, and they would apply to be a Talmud. And it, would, it was not so that they would know what you know. It would be to be like you are. They, would like to, they, they were trying to be like that, that mentor, that, that person. They, were, they, they would take on that person's cause and take on almost their identity. And it's, again... They, they wanted to do what the master did. A, a great compliment for a Talmud back in the day was this figure of speech. The dust of your rabbi is all over you. In other words, you're following your, your rabbi so closely that when his sandal hits the ground, that plume of dirt ends up on you. That means you're following him that close. That's what a disciple meant in the context of that culture. In the Bible, there's multiple definitions of a, of a disciple because in the epistles, those letters to the churches, those saints wanted to make sure that we would know, the church would know what a disciple is since we're supposed to be a disciple and make disciples. So when they would <clears throat> write their letters to the churches, they would describe a disciple as someone who is uh, mature, uh, complete, lacking in nothing, uh, uh, whole, at grace, we've defined that phrase, to be a disciple means to become like Christ in all of life. As a matter of fact, even our purpose statement is at grace, we glorify God by guiding people to become like Christ in all of life. The, the purpose of our meeting is to be a disciple and to guide other people to, become, to be a disciple, to become like Christ in all of life. The Great Commission, this great command is not for converts, not for converts that are baptized, but it's disciples making disciples. That's what we're to do. And so here at our church at Grace, we feel like the purpose of life, the meaning of life, the, the reason for our existence is to take every opportunity to glorify God by becoming like Christ and then looking for opportunities to do ministry so we could maybe introduce someone to the forgiveness that comes in Christ, his death and resurrection, showing them the teachings of Christ and maybe how to obey all that he's done, all that he taught, how to respond to the Spirit, hear the Spirit, obey the Spirit, and how to love the church, his bride. So that's, what we, that's what we're trying to do here at Grace, and that's, that's what the command is. Be a disciple that makes disciples. That's Jesus' last command. 
The second question, if you remember, I said was like, what is the disciple-making process here at Grace? What is the, the plan for doing that? Since God's plan is not something, it's someone, <laughs> it's you and it's me. What are we going to do about, what's our strategy to make that happen? Because it's not about talent, it's about availability. God's looking for people that are willing to just do his will. That's, that's the, the key to make it happen. And so at Grace, we have a, a six-step, I guess, process, six steps in helping you become like Christ, and six steps in, in serving the ministry that God has for you to help someone else become like Christ in all of life, to find the forgiveness that comes in Christ and learn to obey and, and learn to hear the Spirit of God and, and learn to love the church. That's what we're doing. Six steps to doing this. And what we're going to do today is I'm going to walk you through this. This will be a great time if you're relatively new to grace. It'll be an informative uh, time. And for those of you who've been coming for a while, it's an application-driven sermon. So there'll be at least six applications here. So what are we going to do next? But step one is building relationships with people outside the church. To make disciples, the first step is to, be, is to have relationships outside the church. And I would say the 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 point of emphasis for us at Grace is, is mostly to help people grasp their identity according to the Bible. And, and part of their identity is, is that, that they're ministers. As a matter of fact, we have a, a phrase here that we use regularly, every believer is a minister. And that phrase comes with a test. Here it comes. I'm just a pastor, but you're the, yeah, you're, you're the, all the ministers. Everyone's a minister. I'm a minister too. I'm a player coach. And we want everyone to see themselves and see their lives as like ministers on call, pastors on call, waiting for opportunities to do ministry with people that God in his sovereignty have put in your life by where you live, where you work, the hobbies that you have, your involvement with, uh, if you're a parent with other children uh, in, in, in seasons of life. At Grace, we put the, the great commission of kind of reaching out and reaching the world in, in a phrase called lifestyle evangelism or, or relational evangelism. That's where we put our hope. If you look at our budget for advertising at, at this church, it's, it's minimal. Our budget for, adver for advertising is the banners on the side of our building and postcards a few times a year that we give to you to give to your people that God has brought into your life. We don't do bulk mail-outs. We're not doing advertisements on the radio or television or social media. Those aren't bad things, but we want to put, put our money where we feel like is the most important part, and that is God's understanding, God's like de declared value and identity of who we are. We're, we're the ministers, you and me. And, and, and what we want to emphasize is that we would have the eyes to see that God has placed people in our lives to pray for and to care for and to share the good news with. And not just leave it there, but help them become like Christ in all of life. We're supposed to be developing relationships so that we can have conversations with people, significant conversations. Conversations about our marriage or our fears or even our dreams, which is even more risky. Simple application for the first step is to see yourself, and it's an identity issue, to see yourself and perceive yourself for who God sees you as. 
You're the person that he's counting on to reach and to, or to serve and to have the conversation with people about, about the death and the resurrection of Christ, about forgiveness that comes in Jesus. First step is meaningful relationships. The second one is a verbal witness. Verbal witness is when you are guided by the Holy Spirit, listening to him about a time and a technique of bringing up the truth of the gospel. It's going to take a lot of courage. You'll need the Spirit's guidance and the Spirit's courage to say the words out loud. And you might even practice a script, to some kind of, something, have something in, in store for someone that you might be engaged with. Personally, I, you could say something like, uh, you, know, you know I go to church, right? And you know that I'm a religious person, but it's, it's more than that. I have found that I, I find courage and power through grace, which is a word that means gift. The gift of Jesus Christ and the Spirit. I've been able to do things I didn't think I could ever do, and I'm happy to talk to you about that. Some kind of saying out loud, not just with your, word, not just with your actions, but your words, the invitation. An invitation. And speaking of which, a lot of ministries here at Grace, knowing that we're helping you to become like Christ and, and be a disciple, but you're trying to do this in your own ministry that God has for you, we have multiple ministries for people outside the church that they are able to come and enjoy those ministries, usually in times of difficulty. Celebrate recovery, for example, for different types of recovery. We have a grief ministry and grief share. We have a divorce ministry. We have a ministry to new moms and mothers of preschoolers. We have a ministry to new people in Austin that just started trying to unpack the boxes. There are seasons in people's lives or events in people's lives where they feel helpless and alone and they're looking for help. And we have all these ministries. And the point of all that is I want you to know those are cards you can play in your, you know, your verbal witness. Hey, why don't you come with me to grief share? Because you just lost a family member. They're there for your ministry that God has for you. So, like, so you know, we have this, this verbal witness. We have building relationships. And then third is uh, worship service, or what we'll call big church. That's what happens in this auditorium here. All disciples, all disciples, no matter the maturity level, thirst for truth. God had made us in his image, and even non-believers that, that God's hounding, they're thirsty for truth. And everyone needs a place to worship, believers and non-believers, I would say. But certainly all disciples need to have corporate worship together. And for the sake of our own souls to become like Christ, and for the sake of the ministry that we have as disciple makers, this is what we do on Sunday morning. And I wanted to just show you the power of regular worship here at Grace. And I want you to know what goes behind everything we do. First, we've built out our campus that, that's beautiful. We've tried to keep every tree and grow, a gra grow grass wherever we can. Multiple times we've tried to do that. And where we can't, we just, now we're starting to gravel. But we built around the 200-year-old oak trees. And as you work your way up to our auditorium, we're looking at an award-winning, elegant worship service with, with music that is beautiful. The artwork in the, in the lobby is stunning. And the purpose of all of that is to bring a person's aesthetically pleasing experience ready to worship God. We sing together communally, and then we hear you know, authoritative teaching, 
that's application-driven from the Bible, the Word of God. Those are, those are things that every soul desires. It, we, we try to intentionally make it feel like it's something different. It's something special. You can't experience what happens in here at a concert or another teaching venue. And we want people to experience church. We're not, we're not embarrassed or apologetic about that because we feel like God is calling people to him. And when he's calling people to him, it's going to feel like a church. And our church, it's not too formal. It's not too casual. Although a couple of you, <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but the point is this, the weekend service is, the worship service that we have here is, is, is required balanced diet for every believer and every disciple certainly that wants to become like Christ to worship together and to learn, to learn what his word says. And again, it's supplemental for your ministry, for people that you're helping with as well. I want to, I want to, I want to add this. Did you know we had a plan here? Honestly, like there's, we, we plan and we plan ahead. In, in this learning experience over 20 years ago in the venue of the worship service, we thought, well, what, what are we going to teach people to be holistically understanding what the Bible has taught? And uh, a number of people got together. We got a community of people together and we looked at five different seminaries in a degree called the Master of Art in Biblical Studies. And we look at what they all had in common, and we said, well, let's make that the pulpit curriculum. Let's make that our scope and sequence. And so in Bible, we do. So we have a seven-year core curriculum that in the context of Bible includes a Bible survey itself, epic surveys, and Bible books. We teach the Bible topically. That's called systematic theology. We sprinkled that out throughout the year. And then a, a, third, or a third and fourth quadrants are life skills and ministry skills. And we do that over those periods of time because we wanted people to have like a plan, or we wanted to certainly have a plan for what we teach here and a purpose for it. Just thought you'd want to know we had a plan. There's four applications uh, for this worship service attendance each week. And the first one is that, that it's, I want you to consider attending every single week that you're in town. If you're in town and you, everything's okay, you should come. If this is new to you, you should make, an, a, make a, an advanced commitment to and make plans for coming every week between now and Easter, and let's, see, let's just see what happens. Every week between now and Easter, be here. If you kind of started taking a break for COVID, COVID's over. <laughs> come on back. There's a thing we call the profit shuffle, or profit shuffle, the, the COVID shuffle where People kind of shifted around and some people just stayed watching. We want you to come back consistently and regularly because it's good for your soul. Second application, there's four applications here. Second application is that you would consider that be the next invite that you have to a friend that you feel like God has brought into their life. See what happens when they come here and see what they can't find anywhere else. A third application, and we really honestly need everyone to do this. Everyone's a greeter. Everyone's a greeter here at Grace, and here's why. Because, well, it's, here's a great example. Melinda, my wife, when the superstructure for this building was going up, and it was obvious this, you know, beautiful building was going to be on this corner of three highways, 120 to 150,000 people driving by every day. Melinda started praying, God, this building is going to call people. 
not a person, but, but the beauty of this building and this campus. And we need everyone to be a greeter because some, so many people come here and they don't have anyone to say hi to. So if you could just be kind to the people around you, you know, and, 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 and look for an opportunity to make a new friend or bring them up to the uh, front visitor center, that would be wonderful. Because I met someone between services that came first hour and said, hey, I'm your drive-by guy. I'm the one your wife's been praying for. <laughs> and we were just driving by and we see it every day and we said, let's go there. Everyone's a greeter. And the fourth application here, you know, first one is to come every week, bring, a, bring someone that you maybe you think God's bringing into your life. Third is to be just a greeter. But some of you, I want you to see that every believer is a minister. This is like another area where God brings people to you, like on your row. Be the pastor on your row. Every believer is a pastor. And the reason I say that is because I know we don't have assigned seats here, but you do, don't you? You know where you sit. And when sometimes you get here and someone's sitting in your chair, don't frown. <laughs> you know who sits around you and you know who's new. Take those people to lunch. Bring them up. Maybe we'll get to know them in the visitor center and then make a new friend and figure out how you could maybe get them plugged in someplace. That's how you can use and, and enjoy that third thing called big church. The next uh, step four is uh, discipleship communities or classes. Discipleship communities or classes. Now, in big church, there's only so much you can learn, especially when you're trying to obey all that Christ commanded us with a 35-minute monologue. You can only learn so much that way. We're inhibited by that. You need dialogue to learn, and then uh, oftentimes you need other people to talk to about that. So we have multiple communities, and, the, and they're built, almost all of them are built around life stages, because in almost every life stage, you have different ways to express how to obey all that God has commanded you. And so we get people in these different life stages and we try to teach the Bible in an applicable way from all the way from our youth ministry to retired people. We also have uh, Sunday school classes, adult communities that are, that are independent of life stages. We also have courses where they go really deep into the teachings of the Bible by people that really know that content well. And we have a plan. Did I tell you we have a plan? We have a plan for our communities. There's a core curriculum for our communities and our courses as well. We looked through the Master of Art Biblical Studies. We looked at how to apply that to the various life stages and what would be the most important at significant times in life. Yeah, we have a purpose for that too. But I want you to, before we move on, I want, to, I want you to understand the importance of our communities. Because fewer and fewer churches are doing communities and they're missing an opportunity. Because if we're trying to make disciples trying to be disciples and make disciples, we need to take advantage of, of one of the greatest assets we have at this church, and that is the multiple uh, generations that we have here. And the Bible just absolutely says that you should have the older men discipling and mentoring the younger men and the older women mentoring the younger women. In other words, let the wisdom cascade from generation to generation. Don't waste that. And the way we found the way to maximize that opportunity is to have people in these classes being taught by people that are older than they are and wiser than they are. And a great example of that is one of our teachers, uh, Dr. Chris Thurman. He makes his way throughout the communities and sometimes he'll have a course. But, I mean, he's, been, he's a practicing counselor, psychologist for, what, 40 years, I think, here in Austin. He's written seven books on just thinking right. 
right? Thinking right about God, thinking right about family, uh, marriage, parenting. And if we didn't have communities and he, were, he and Holly were merely in a home group with 10 other people, those are the only people that get to enjoy their wisdom, their collective wisdom. But what if we have communities, he can go in and share that with hundreds of different families. Communities are a way to maximize the various levels of wisdom we have here. And, and by the way, I mean, it's a great, going in the application section, it's a great way to, to, to ask people to attend those. When we were living in the bleachers when our kids were in high school, boy, those parents of teenagers, we should have business cards printed up because of all the problems that everybody was enjoying together. We could have, oh, God, there's this parenting adolescence class at our church. You don't even have to go to our church. Just go to this parenting adolescence class. Because people are suffering in life together, we have a life stage to enjoy. That's one application for our communities. Another application is, why don't you make a commitment to come both services? The next step for you might be, don't be a, uh, one of the families that just comes and then leaves after one service, the, the one and then you're done. I found it interesting, this is new to me, I, there's, most people now just think one service is all you kind of need or all that's, that's good. And you're not, I guess, I guess it has to do with just expectation and setting uh, your goals. And that is if you just plan ahead of time and plan to be here from 9.15 to 12.15 and get the very most out of the opportunities available for you to become like Christ and help others become like Christ, I think you'll enjoy that. Because on our side of it, on the leadership side, we want to make, we're trying to make everything worth your investment in driving in and coming in and staying here from 9.15 to 12.15. So your next step might be from now until Easter, you come both services. Join it, the big service, and join a worshiping community or a, or a learning community. Another uh, aspect, our, we're on number four or five rather, it's, it's our small groups, our life groups. Our life groups. Those are midweek studies that gather there from anywhere from four people to 12 people, and they're really applying the passages in the Bible to teach you to obey all that, he, that Jesus commanded us. That's a place where you can find each other's faults and strengths. It's a place where you can encourage one another to, to build one another up, to confront whatever it might be. But the point is this, you can learn a lot of content with chairs facing in one direction. But the magic happens when the chairs are in a circle. We're to bear one another's burdens, and that's not easy. But it's not optional either. We're to carry, we're to carry each other at times, and that doesn't happen with rows of chairs facing one direction. You can learn a lot of content, but the magic happens when you're in a living room in the middle of the week in a circle. Maybe you should consider joining one of our life groups. You can go on our website and learn more about that. Our sixth and final step in our discipleship process, process is service. And service is the idea of, of using your gifts to serve the local church. The local church is the primary means that God has chosen to use to change the world. And there's nothing like it on planet Earth. There's nothing like the beauty or the brilliance or the the love of the local church, the power or the potential of the church. This is 
biblically, the bride of Christ. Each little, the whole church and each expression of that is the bride of Christ. And we're to like, learn how God made us to use our gifts to serve her. If you want to become like Christ in all of life, listen to what Jesus said. He said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. So you have to be a servant if you're going to be like Christ. And what better place than serving the church itself? It's good for your soul. It's a great way to get connected. It's consistent with what the Bible tells us to do. Look for an opportunity to serve your church. You can go online and figure out that as well. Whatever, however God made you, <laughs> he made you to serve in the church. I want you to see that we have a plan. Did I tell you we had a plan? Yeah. Okay. I want you to see how the big plan fits together because we, we worked on this for years. And I, I think you'll, once you see how it works, you'll enjoy that there is a purpose in what we do. We're, try, we're trying to be disciples and make disciples. Become like Christ in all of life while we guide others to become like Christ in all of life. In big church, that's uh, the big cog there. It's turning clockwise in the seven-year curriculum for this. Scope and sequence is complemented, if you'll see, it's turning counterclockwise, is the communities and the courses. Because they're, they're, taking, they're, they're doing something that's different but complementary. If we're going through a Bible epic, they're going to be teaching very specific application on how to parent, for example, at a particular age group. And as the big church is doing one thing and the Communities are complementing that. You'll see that the small groups, the life groups, are turning in the same direction. They're turning clockwise with the big church because often the life groups are studying how to apply what we learned here on Sunday. Because on Sunday, I can't get into specific applications for individual life stages or your particular life. But you can when you're facing each other. It makes it easier for the life group leaders. They don't have to come with, up with new material. We'll do that for them. So it all fits together, the two different core curriculums and the scope and sequence of those. Meanwhile, the service is turning all over here inside and outside the local church because we're trying to learn to use our gifts in that way. We have a plan is the point. Did I tell you that? Grace has a plan. Where are you going to be in five years? Let's stop and think about that. Well, maybe better still, who are you going to be in five years? Do you have a plan? We have a plan. <laughs> you have a plan on who you're going to be? You know, more like Christ in all of life, thinking like Jesus, having the feelings that Jesus had in various contexts. You'd have those same kind of feelings. And the courage to do the will of Jesus, you'd have that in your life. Think, feel, and do what Jesus would think, feel, and do. Do you have a plan for that? Here's what I would suggest. That you go to the next step or maybe next two steps in our six-step process because we do have a plan. We're trying to help people become like Christ in all of life, and we're trying to help people do the ministry that God has for them and make it easy for you to minister to the people you are workers with or family or neighbors. If you came here for five years, I think at the end of five years, you'd be more courageous with less anxiety. You would learn how to show compassion in ways that you never thought you even had the ability to do. You'd learn how to pray more effectively or 
just enjoy the love of the Lord in a deeper way. If you had a, like, here, let me like shrink it. If you had a seventh grader, this is how scope and sequence works in core curriculum. If you had a seventh grader here and you went here for five, and you had that seventh grader come for five years, in five years, he would go through and live through one of the five, five epics of the Bible. One of the seven that they do, but he'll do five of those in those five years. Because the, the five retreats, he'll learn life skills and ministry skills over those five years. All the while going to Sunday school classes or the, you know, the youth ministry, and then the small groups they're involved in make good friends. By the time your seventh grader is walking the aisle and enjoying the senior banquet that we have for them, he or she will be better prepared to live whatever their next life will be like whether it's in college or in the workplace, that's what we do in a, in a snapshot. What about you? Where are you going to be in five years? Who are you going to be in five years? Because between now and 2028, there's a storm coming. There has to be. And the question really is, is are you going to be like a beach ball just getting kicked around on the top of those waves here and there? Or are you going to be a lighthouse that's rock solid in that storm for your sake, for the sake of other people that are lost at sea, and for the glory of God? Beach ball or lighthouse? Which one? Do you have a plan? We have a plan. My proposal is this. Find a church that is helping make disciples that are making disciples and get involved in every way you can. I'm a big fan of this place. I was a fan of this place before they hired me. I was coming here before I was employed. I love this church because over 50 years ago, they read Matthew 20, 28 and said, he said, make disciples. So let's do that. Let's make disciples that make disciples and go there whatever church that is, and connect with other people and serve that body of Christ and then grow in your wisdom of how to become like Christ in every part of your life. But the question right now is, what is your next step? Take it. Take that next step. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that in our hanging of hubcaps, whatever that might be, that you give us meaning and purpose, that you can have <laughs> those incidental events echo into eternity and glorify you forever. The simple things that we do in life are means to an end, and the means are meeting people and expressing your love and maybe even bringing them along so that they might surrender their lives to you, all to the glory of the Son that glorifies the Father, to the amazement of angels and demons around us. Lord, I'd ask that we would see ourselves playing our part as ministers on call. I'd ask that you would help us and inspire us to see ourselves for what you've declared us to be, perfect priests doing your will. I'd ask that you give us the courage and sometimes just the energy to be able to do whatever the next step might be. We pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.